Welcome to the University of South Dakota's podcast, Crowded Hour. We know the COVID-19 global health pandemic is raising all sorts of questions about the way we live. Over the next several weeks, we plan to share the perspectives of some of our faculty in fields like public health, economics, education, and more, in hopes they can shed light on this situation and the path forward. As always, thank you for listening, and go Yotes! On today's episode of Credit Hour, we speak with Catherine Berklin, an Associate Professor of Economics and the Chair of the Division of Economics and Decision Sciences at the University of South Dakota Beacom School of Business, about the impacts of the COVID-19 crisis on the economy. Catherine, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing well, thank you. Well, we wanted to you know, talk to you today about how the COVID-19 crisis might be um, affecting kind of all facets of the economy locally, nationally, and globally. I wondered if we could just kind of start uh, maybe from a global perspective and then work backwards. I mean, just globally, what has this crisis, I guess, done to the economy? So we are seeing um, some normal recession activity globally, but we're also seeing some differences in this time of recession or this time of pandemic that we wouldn't normally see. Um, we are seeing that most industrialized countries are entering a recession, which we would expect uh, when individuals are off of work. Um, we are seeing a bigger impact, of course, in healthcare sectors in countries than we would necessarily see in a normal recession. Um, we will likely see this for a while, and we are seeing the um, differential effect as the virus uh, spreads across countries. So some countries had it first and then are starting to recover and other countries um, are just starting now to see the impact of that. So not all of the countries will see it at the same time. Uh, and we are thankfully getting some best practices out there for countries that are just beginning to see the virus. And so perhaps we'll be able to mitigate that effect somewhat. You know, I'm curious how this affects, you know, things like trade. I mean, are countries having to be more careful when they ship goods internationally? How, how has a global pandemic just affected kind of basic, um, you know, transportation of goods, things like that? We, uh, we've seen an impact on um, transportation of goods to the extent that uh, individuals who work in transportation of goods are being asked to stay home. Um, we aren't seeing a huge transmission of the actual virus on goods that are transported, so that's not much as much of a worry as we thought it would be at the beginning. What have you been able to observe, I guess, about how it's affected the U.S. economy? Uh, so there's a couple of things in the U.S. economy that make this uh, recession that we're in or going in uh, a little bit different. So. Um, we are seeing that the effect in the U.S. has mainly been a liquidity problem. Um, this is, when we think about recessions, normally we think about um, giving individuals a, a tax break or some money or stimulus or something. In a normal recession, we want people to buy things so that the businesses who are supplying those things can hire their workers, can keep their workers on staff so that their workers don't lose their paychecks. The idea being to short circuit sort of the downward spiral. But we actually don't want people to be working at the moment in the US. We would like them to stay home and not work. Um, and so the problem really is not necessarily that we're trying to get individuals to keep spending money to create demand. We're trying to give households enough liquidity to pay their bills. So we've seen a real 
difference in the type of needs that individuals have and households have in this recession in that they need to be able to get cash now and they need to be able to get the cash to um, buy groceries and um, still pay their rent and pay their utilities and that sort of stuff. So it's a little bit different in that it's likely to be a shorter term problem than a normal recession might be. Um, but the problem is a liquidity or a cash problem. It's not necessarily a um, one we can fix with increasing the demand for goods and services. You know, I definitely want to talk about um, you know, the recent stimulus package that, that has been passed. But before um, talking about that, I mean, just from a local perspective or even just looking at it from like South Dakota's economy, um, how how harmful this will this I guess situation be to a state like South Dakota? Are we, um, I guess, immune to some of uh, some of it because of you know the agricultural nature of our economy? Is it actually going to make it worse when you consider things like tourism? Um, and maybe this, you know, if this is prolonged and lasts through the summer, you know, that's our number two industry. I'm curious what you kind of expect just on the South Dakota side. Um, it's not necessarily clear what the impact will be on South Dakota, um, and this. It's one of the drawbacks of being a macroeconomist is that often I say things like, well, there's lots of these forces and we don't really know which one will be stronger. Um, once we talk about the macroeconomy, even at the state level, there are lots of moving parts. And so it's not always clear which of those moving parts will be the strongest. Uh, I do think that there are going to be some impacts in South Dakota that are not the same elsewhere. We are not as densely populated as other areas of the country. And so we might not see the actual virus spread as much, but at the same time, we still need people to stay home and not work. And so we will see a decrease in the amount of production that we can do. Um, if we think that individuals aren't going to travel internationally once this gets better, so people aren't gonna travel a whole lot and they might decide to stay closer to home, that could be beneficial to South Dakota. Uh, we could see, uh, I do not think that in any way that will make our tourism season better. It will likely only make our tourism season not as bad as it could have been if no one came. Right. So I think that we will still see that uh, businesses will not hire as many seasonal workers. Um, those who are who make the bulk of their money, those businesses make bulk of their money in the summer um, will take a hit for sure. Uh, but it might not be as bad as it would otherwise be if individuals are traveling. Now, if it's the case that this virus lasts for longer and we need to all be home for many more months in order to make sure that the healthcare system is not overwhelmed, that will decrease the amount of, of tourism. We will definitely take a hit in the amount of tourism that we have, and we will see that there are some businesses that will not survive not being open this summer. You know, you mentioned the liquidity problem. I'm wondering if you can just talk to us a little bit about the stimulus that was recently um, passed by Congress. You know, what does it do and do you think it will be effective? Yeah, so when we talk about the stimulus, um, I want to be specific because there's been a number of stimulus packages that have been talked about and discussed and there's some um, work through the Federal Reserve, but I'm guessing that your question is about the stimulus package of sending checks to households and allowing um, certain industries and small businesses to get the loans that they might need. That's the, the bulk part that we've been talking about for a while. Yeah, yep. Um, so when we think about um, sending checks to households, uh, when we, as macroeconomic policy advisors, when we try to make a recession smaller, the goal is generally to 
make sure that spending doesn't fall as much. So in a recession, most recessions start by a decrease in spending, which as a result causes a decrease in the amount of labor that firms need to hire. And so then those workers have less money, which decreases spending. And so that's usually how recessions start. Um, that is not how this recession started. Our recession started here because individuals needed to stay home. Um, the businesses had to close, and so the workers did not have income. Now, most of those businesses are closed, and, and even if they were able to operate, no one can come to buy stuff from them right now. So the issue is not creating demand. That's not the purpose of the stimulus package. Um, the purpose of the stimulus package is to make sure everyone can pay their bills for the next three months. Uh, the idea is that households need liquidity. Um, normally, um, if financial markets were working fine and if all households had access to the same financial markets and the same credit availability in a, in a fake world, what would happen right now is that households would simply borrow against their future income. So everybody knows that they're eventually going to have a job again. We know that the economy will get better. And so households know that they eventually will send their kids back to school and they eventually will have full-time jobs again. And so in, in a theoretical world, they would simply just borrow today against the income that they will eventually get in the future. So they'd be able to spend today and pay back in the future. That meaning that liquidity could go either, they could just borrow. Many households can't do that. Many households don't have enough equity in their home. They don't have enough credit card um, space. They don't want to be able, they don't want to pay that interest rate that might be on their credit card. And so the government has stepped in to essentially facilitate that liquidity. So what the government is doing is they are saying, we will send you cash right now. Eventually in the future, you'll have to pay that back in taxes, you being the all the people of the country, not necessarily you specifically, but all the people in the country will eventually pay back that taxes in years to come. But we're using the cash today, essentially borrowing against future tax revenue to be able to spend it today because households have a liquidity problem. They don't have enough cash on hand to pay for their health insurance and pay for their rent and pay for their internet access that everybody has to have now because every kid is home. Um, so that idea is is really what this, it's, it's not trying to stimulate spending, it's trying to help with liquidity. Um, the same is true for loans to, to small businesses and loans to large businesses. The firms know that they will eventually function again. Airlines will be profitable again. Um, tourism companies will be profitable again. Small businesses will be profitable again. They just don't have the liquidity today to keep paying their workers. Um, they need to be able to borrow against future returns. And so these loans are allowing them to do that. You know, I think that kind of maybe answers my next question, but I, I wanted to ask with these stimulus checks, and I know it, it varies. I think the number I you know read a lot online is about $1,200 per person, depending on you know, how much you made in taxes and there's a different scale and stuff like that. Is the idea that if we are stuck, you know, at home here for multiple months, I mean, is the government going to have to look at doing a, a second round of this to keep everybody afloat? I mean, how how long can we do this? The, there's entirely possible that there will need to be another round of that. Um, they are helping in other ways, too. The uh, unemployment insurance program is now um, allocating larger benefits than they did before. So those households that are liquidity constrained, especially because they've lost a job, are able to get some extra relief in the unemployment insurance realm also. So um, they're sort of twofold. If you are a household 
that has children and also happens to have an unemployed worker, you'll be getting extra health there. And so hopefully because some of the households that don't need liquidity help are getting a small check and some of the households that need a lot of liquidity help are getting a bigger check, um, hopefully that will help. But it's entirely possible that they'll need to do another package of that. Um, can the government continue to borrow? Yes. Uh, the full faith and credit of the U.S. government is not a concern at this point. Um, have we ever borrowed this much before? No. Does that matter? Not really. Um, it, it's okay. The government knows that they eventually will be able to raise the tax revenue needed to pay in the future. Um, there's no one in the world that is at this point worried that the U.S. government won't be able to make good on their bonds that they would have to pay back in the future. So there's not a worry about that. Uh, in addition, the Federal Reserve is stepping up to buy U.S. Treasury bonds should they need to do so. Um, so, yeah. you know, one one question that I'm really curious what your perspective will be um, is more philosophical, I guess. But does the economy really work like a light switch? Can you just like turn it on and off? And isn't there going to be a lot of fallout, even if we maybe in like the best case scenario come back? Um, you know, sometime in like the summer. I mean, not all businesses are going to be able to survive that, right? How big of an effect will this have? Um, do you project over the next maybe one or two years? Um, that's a good question. Uh, we, I, I don't know that I have enough information to, pred to make a prediction. This is my macroeconomic side who, you know, is often wrong at predictions. And so I try to limit myself in making them. Uh, but we can turn the economy sort of off and on. And I'm guessing what your question means is, can we essentially just stop production for a while? Um, we aren't producing the same goods and services in the same quantities that we did before. So can we just stop producing those things and then start it back up again when things come back to normal? Um, for some businesses, yes. Uh, for some businesses who are able to get a loan, who are able to float that liquidity, who are able to borrow on a line of credit, yes. Um, the physical capital doesn't go away. We don't lose the machines. We don't lose the capacity to make that output. Um, the human capital, which is the skills that the workers have, just because we're not using it right now doesn't mean it goes away. We're able to, to pick right up where we left off with those skills and with that capital. Um, it's a question. Your question was, will there be some businesses who can't survive? Yes. Unfortunately, that will be the case. There will be some um, businesses who close now and don't open again, um, either because it was too long of a time that they were closed. They couldn't get enough liquidity. They didn't think that they'd ever be able to pay back that much borrowing to stay closed for that long. Um, it, it's hard to know. Um, there are some businesses for sure that will close. There are others who will perhaps adjust their way of production. Um, it's not clear necessarily what those changes will be. Uh, I do think that the length of this slowdown or recession will not necessarily be similar to what we have seen from the past couple of recessions. So first of all, it's hard for us to remember a recession because the last one we had was in 2007, 8, 9. That was the last recession. And it lingered on until 2012 or so until we sort of felt like we were getting back to normal. So it was a pretty significant crisis and lingered on for a while. Um, this one will likely be a a bigger decrease in output and a bigger jump in unemployment, but it likely will have a faster rebound. Um, hmm. Once once there is the ability to get a vaccine, once there is the ability to have an antiviral that treats people who are sick, um, once we're able to treat this virus the same as we do the flu or strep or any of those other ones, then 
we will be able to get back to production. So just the situation is a little bit different. It's not that people necessarily don't want to work or don't want to buy things that the workers are producing. Um, it's that we're physically telling them to stay home at the moment. So once that is done, um, we should be able to come back faster. You know, I know a lot of people with you know, 401k accounts or who have money invested in the stock market. Um, it's just been such a volatile you know, period the past few weeks and months. You know, why, I guess, does the stock market react so vitriolically to situations like this? And how and when will it recover? Um, the stock market is has been very volatile. And um, the stock market especially, but financial markets uh, in general, uh, operate when information is plentiful. Uh, they do not work well in times of uncertainty um, because there's inherently uncertainty about what's happening inside the company um, when we add the uncertainty of what's happening outside in the broader economy um, firms it's not clear how well firms are going to operate and as a result of that we see some uncertainty and we see um, people who would like to move money around either to try to take advantage of companies that may come out of this better or to try to get out of companies who may be affected by this um, the stock market will recover. Will it get back to the same size that it was? Yes. Eventually, the stock market will get back to the same size that it was. Um, it is. We talk about the stock market a lot because it does provide us some immediate signals about how people are feeling um, in times of uncertainty. So uh, because we have a lot of data on the stock market and because there are lots of businesses that participate in that, we get some real-time information about when people are feeling uncertain or um, anxious about what will happen. Uh, it's actually not the biggest part of our financial market. So commercial banking is, is a much bigger part of the financial market. Um, money markets or, or debt markets are a much bigger part. Um, those also fluctuate and those are a big, bigger player. Um, the, the bank liquidity and commercial banking area that's supervised by the FDIC and um, the National Credit Union Association and whatnot. Those are much larger players in financial markets. And although they are, uh, the value of those is fluctuating, it's not fluctuating as much. You know, you kind of mentioned um, earlier, just talking about unemployment insurance and how that's kind of reacted to it. I do have to be honest, when I just read the numbers online about, you know, numbers of unemployment, the numbers that I guess have been filed, they're just staggering, right? It's should unbelievable. We be, I mean, <laughs> yes. how how concerned should we be about unemployment, um, its overall effect on the economy? And I know I probably kind of already asked that question, but it just it's difficult for me to grasp how that many people um, being unemployed for weeks and weeks and weeks. I mean, even with assistance, you know, from the government, it's it's hard for me to imagine many families can survive um, long term like this. I mean. I guess, what are your thoughts on how grave unemployment is a threat to the economy at large? Uh, unemployment is definitely uh, hitting an area in terms of um, number of people who are jobless, the number of people who are flying, uh, filing for unemployment. Um, we've never had this many um, claims filed. I mean, to be fair, we've never had this many people in the U.S. before either, right? So that's a little bit when we think about the number of claims, as the country gets more people, of course, the claims will get bigger. But even right. in percentage terms, we haven't had this large of a percentage of people who are unemployed or um, asking for unemployment insurance benefits. Um, 
it is unusual. Uh, it is not unexpected considering that we have asked businesses to close and we've asked them to send their workers home so that they would not contribute to uh, spreading the virus. So it's not, I think, unexpected for those who know how many businesses are simply being closed. Um, when we think about unemployment and we think about unemployment rates, so remember that um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics collects data on um, the people who are unemployed. And then we also have the state data that comes from the state unemployment agencies about how many people have filed for unemployment insurance claims or jobless claims. Uh, when we think about people who are unemployed, so these are people who are actually fired from their job, um, but they are still looking for a job. So in terms of the Bureau of Labor Statistics to be counted as unemployed, you have to have been still looking for a job. Now, in the current situation, the requirements for looking is pretty lax because really everything's closed and there are no jobs open. So really people who would have been going to work but have been fired from their job, it's going to take them a while to get a new job. So anyone who's been fired and who will need to get a new job after this um, situation, uh, it's going to take a little longer because the firms will need demand for their product to be strong enough to justify hiring people. So that's going to take a little while. Now, there's a whole other very large group of people who are called laid off and waiting for recall. So individuals who are laid off and waiting for recall, these are the ones who still have a job to go back to when the economy recovers. So their employer is saying to them, I'm not going to pay you right now, but when things get better, I will hire you back. So I don't have to post a new position. I don't have to train you again. I just have to decide that things are going to go well enough to bring you back to my employment. So it's not going to require much for those individuals to go back. Uh, those employers will hire those workers back. They don't have to commit to extra training. They don't have to commit to a lot of extra stuff because it's the same workers. They're just hiring them back from home. Uh, then there are also those individuals who are furloughed. So these are much like the ones that are laid off and waiting for recall. Um, they still have a job. They're just not getting a paycheck for all the hours that they would have gotten before. So it's not hard to bring them off of furlough or to ask them to come back or that sort of thing. Um, normally, our unemployment insurance program would pay households 50% of their income for up to 26 weeks. Um, when we were in the recession in 2007, 8, 9, uh, because it was lasting for so long, the aid package or the fiscal policy decision then was to extend the time that people could file for unemployment from 26 weeks to 99 weeks. So that gives you an idea that we held out for a very long time. But they did not change the dollar amount by very much that people could get for unemployment insurance. So essentially it was still 50% of your income, but it was for 99 weeks instead of 26 weeks. Now, in this current situation, the government's um, fiscal policy response has been to add a lot more money to your payment, about $600 more to your payment every week, but they're not extending the time in which people can apply for benefits. So that gives you an idea that we know households are strapped for cash right now, but we do not expect that they're going to be that way for long. So 26 weeks is like six months. So in macroeconomic terms, that's a very short amount of time. Uh, this fiscal policy response where we are increasing their unemployment insurance is saying, we know that you need a lot of cash right now, but you're not going to need it for that long. Um, so it's a bit of a different response. Um, gives us the idea about that the, the policymakers and the, the economists are, are braced for a very sharp increase in the amount of unemployment, but not for that long of a period. Does that make yeah, sense? I, yeah, no, it, it does. I mean, and so do you, I guess, then anticipate, I mean, are there going to be real structural alterations um, to the economy because of this crisis? Or do you really 
believe that if we can figure out the science and figure out kind of the healthcare side of it, that we can in six months, a year, kind of go back to something that we would consider to be normal. I do think that perhaps in probably a year, we will be back to something we would consider normal. Um, I do think there are going to be a number of businesses that close uh, that don't reopen. So I do think we are going to get a level of, of destruction, job destruction um, that we um, would see in a typical recession. But instead of seeing it over two or three years, we're going to see it over a year's time span. Um, we learned a lot from the financial crisis that we had a decade ago uh, about helping businesses who are bankrupt, very large businesses who are bankrupt, helping them to figure out what, how to close. So that was a really important thing for us to learn. During this crisis, we are learning about how to provide enough liquidity that everyone can keep paying their bills while they can't go anywhere. Uh, so do, I do think there are going to be structural changes. I do think there are going to be um, policies in place that allow us to activate these sort of liquidity measures when we need to um, so that we can facilitate essentially a, a, a full shutdown of everything for a while uh, until we can go back to normal. You know, would you have any advice for business owners that have to make really difficult decisions right now about staying open or whether to pay workers? I mean, obviously it's just challenging. Do you have any advice that you could offer them? I, I'm, I don't know that I'm in the, in the best place to offer advice. I've never been a business owner. I can, I can empathize with the uh, difficult decisions, um, but I haven't had to make those on a day-to-day -day basis. And so my best suggestion is to, to remind business owners that the customers will come back. Uh, we will come out of this recession and eventually they will be back to your restaurant and they will be back to your bar and they will be back um, buying all of the clothes that are in your store. Um, and so small businesses are going to need a line of credit to be able to, you know, keep enough afloat that they can sustain themselves to be open again. Um, it's hard because we know that to keep the pandemic under control, that those businesses need to be closed. Um, that's a very hard decision. I know that locally that's been a hard decision. I know that in the state that's been a hard decision to tell business owners Normally, in a market economy, you can do pretty much what you want. And here we're saying to you, no, you can't do what you want. You need to close so that we can maintain the health of everyone. But it's going to mean that you lose profits and you lose income and you might lose your business. And that's a really hard uh, thing to come to terms with. And so I don't know that I necessarily have a lot of advice, but I can say the customers will come back. It's just don't know when. You know, and... Obviously, I think it's kind of a similar question, but, you know, what advice would you give to a recent graduate or maybe you know, someone graduating this spring who is about to enter um, a job market with everything that's going on? Um, the job market is a little scary at the moment. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's 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 a little scary at the moment to be a, a new student, who, a graduating student, a recent graduate. It's um, it's a little bit scary. Uh, employers will still want your skills. You still have skills that employers are going to want. They just can't use them right now when everyone has to stay home. So if there are jobs that you think you would like to get, you should keep applying for them. These are not going to be your dream job, but that's okay because you're likely going to have multiple jobs in your first few years and you're going to have many jobs throughout your career. So 
it's okay if your dream job isn't the one that you find right now. Um, it turns out your dream job might not be available to anyone right now, not just you. Uh, so keep that in mind. Uh, I would recommend not making any very large financial decisions uh, anytime soon until you have some more certainty. So uh, now is not the time to uh, make a big move to a big city and take on a lot of debt in order to get a fancy apartment and, and try to find your dream job. Um, it's going to require just a job for a while to keep paying your bills or um, maybe staying at home with your parents for a while. It's okay if you decide, you know, that you're going to take a, an hourly job for a while and eventually start applying for your dream job. Um, if you have recruiters that you've been working with, if you have um, either recruiters at firms or if you have um, on campus at USD, if you have, you know, um, career service people that you've been working with, don't stop working with them. So don't stop talking to the businesses that you eventually want to get a job with, but they might not be able to hire you right now. Um, Catherine, thank you so much for coming on our podcast today and talking to us about the economy. Obviously, I think it's one of just many issues that are on the forefront of everyone's mind right now. And uh, you at least brought a little bit of optimism to me <laughs> about <laughs> Good. our ability to rebound from this. I, I, I appreciate that. Thank you for listening to Credit Hour. Stick with us as we continue to bring you new information and perspectives surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic. Until next time, wash your hands, stay safe, and stay home. Go Yotes!